Please be seated. We'll now have our scripture reading from John, verse 21 through 18, from Peter Lowe. John chapter 20. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together. But the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes, but Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stopped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white, sitting there where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. Thank you, Peter. Terry, will you come and pray for us, please? It's always a bit of an adventure to come up front when you're partly blind, but I'm reminded this morning that as we prepare to come to Easter Sunday, that we probably look through our closet a little bit and look for maybe something a little more to put on the outside. And as I reflected on that, I keep remembering that 
God said that we were to put on righteousness and that what we try to put on the outside ended up being like, like filthy rags. And so don't look at your neighbor now, just checking out. <laughs> but as we, as we come to the Lord in prayer, we are asking about what's inside. And, and so as we bow and, and come into his presence, and thank you for your singing. It's a joyful day. So, Father, as we come this morning to worship you, we want to put on the righteousness of Christ. And, Lord, may this not just be another Easter Sunday, another day when we come and gather together. We love the fellowship. We love each other. But, Lord, most of all, we want to love you. And so as we hear the word, as we worship you, Lord, may our hearts put on your righteousness. Lord, thank you. What an incredible salvation. Not a temporary one, but Lord, forever. And so, Lord, we give you thanks. We give you worship. And we give you our hearts as we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's bow our heads. Our dear Father, we come boldly before you, not because of our righteousness or our goodness, but because of Christ alone. And you tell us to do that, to come without hesitation, but to boldly come and look at you. And Father, I acknowledge that you are holy, and this day is all about you. This is about your love for us and your sacrifice. And we join all of those around the world who do sing to you. Alleluia. Christ Alleluia. is risen. And we thank you, Jesus, because you rose that we too rise with you and join you in your heavenly home at the end of the days here on earth. And I thank you that we join you today because your Holy Spirit indwells us and you are here. And so we sing, so we pray, so we listen, all that you may be honored and glorified. And we say thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. He is risen. Oh, come on, you can do better than that. He is risen. He is risen. Praise God. We're about to sound like Pentecostals. We better be careful. Sorry. But you know what? If there was ever a day for Baptists to throw aside any sense of decorum and any sense of calm it is today. He is risen.
stand. Stand with me and say, Mary, come and play. Turn in your hymnals. They're in front. You don't have the words up on the board. Turn in your hymnals. Hymn number 203. Hymn number 203. We're going to sing all four verses. We'll sing the chorus twice at the end. And can it be that I should gain an interest in the Savior's blood? Died he for me who caused his pain for me who him to death pursued. Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? He left his Father's throne above, so free, so infinite his grace. Emptied himself all but love and bled for Adam's helpless race. Tis mercy all immense and free for all my God it found out me amazing love. How can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray, I woke and the dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off, my heart was free. Thy clothes went forth and followed thee. Amazing love, louder than it be. That thou, my God, shouldst die for me. No condemnation now I dread. Jesus and all in him is mine. All I in him, my living head. Hold, I approach the eternal throne and claim the crown of Christ my own. Amazing love, 
How can it be that thou, my God, would die for me? Rising love, how can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? Hallelujah. Thank you. You may be seated. Wow. And we haven't even started at the message yet. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. At Tenebrae, we weep at the crucifixion of Christ, but this morning we rejoice with unexpressible joy. This is the day. This is the pivotal day. This is the ultimate day of Christ's victory over sin and death. It overwhelms me. It truly overwhelms me. It overwhelms me enough that I'll stand in front of you on an Easter morning and preach. This is the first time for me, and I am shaken. I feel a lot like uh, that pastoral student of C.H. Spurgeon. They had this thing that they did with pastoral students on Fridays. They brought them in, and all of the pastoral students didn't know who was going to preach. In fact, Spurgeon would just point at one and say, it's you this morning. And they would have to get up and preach. But not only would they have to get up and preach, but they had to preach from a sermon or from a passage of scripture that he gave them at that moment. And one such student was given the passage from uh, Matthew about Zacchaeus. Not a, not a great lot of material there um, for a young pastoral student, but he chose, he chose um, I think he chose well. And uh, I want to share with you. He said, Zacchaeus was a small man, and so am I. He said, Zacchaeus was in trouble, and so am I. And he said, Zacchaeus came down, and so will I. He understood. And actually, he got three points, which are just beautiful points. I'm not sure I'm going to get there, but just as I learned to swim by jumping into the water, I'm jumping in this morning. Turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 4. 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 4. The resurrection is the most important event in all of human history. And this verse declares it. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scripture, that he was buried that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. People, that's the gospel right there. All of it. The reason he came was to die for our sins. The reason he was buried was because he died for our sins. The reason Christ was raised from the dead I'll give you at least three 
reasons this morning. The first, the reason that Christ was raised from the dead on the third day was because he is God. That's the reason. Acts 2.24 God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Do you see the glory of that truth? He was risen because he is God. No question. A statement of fact. Beautiful fact. He is risen. <laughs> Let's try it again. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Amen. Now, remember that. You're going to hear it several times, and I want to hear that several times. The second reason that Christ was raised from the dead on the third day was to silence ignorant and foolish people. 1 Peter 2.15 And by proving that he is God, he put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. That includes you and me. And there are at least two kinds, two categories anyway, that we fall into. There's the first, the foolish people who say, he isn't Christ, the son of God, the son of man. No way. It isn't him. And then there's the second group who says, he didn't rise from the dead. They whoever they are, stole his body. <laughs> I always laugh at that. Seriously? They stole his body? Who? Who? And who in the world would do it anyway? What would they hope to gain? The Romans? The Jews? Neither of them would have gained anything by stealing away his body and leaving grave clothes including the base covering folded to the side as evidence? How does that make any sense? It doesn't make any sense. That would simply have left the door open, if you get my drift, for the further growth of this cult of Jesus that they wanted to put down. It doesn't make any sense. In fact, they were all so concerned that his disciples might do that that they wanted soldiers placed on guard at the tomb and a seal placed on that tomb. It's silly. It's just plain silly to think that the Romans or the Jews, either one, would have wanted to steal his body away. What better thing to do than to leave the tomb closed and the body rot until you can go back in and see the bones? Silly. Silly to believe that is what happened. And what about his disciples? <laughs> right. Nothing like Peter with this little tiny sword, you know, to defeat even a single Roman soldier, let alone several soldiers assigned to guard the tomb. But don't get me started with, well, they had no need. The idea that these disciples 
who had no idea of what was to happen would take Christ's body from the tomb when all they were able to do was hide in a locked room out of fear of the Romans and the Jews. Seriously. They still didn't understand. Peter read that for us this morning. They didn't understand. What they believed at that moment was that Mary had told them the truth, that his body had been taken. Christ hadn't revealed himself yet. They didn't have any belief in the resurrection at that point. It would have been silly. But you know, I'm sure that they were so well in control of their emotions and so well-reasoned and quick-thinking that they could, in a two-day time frame, concoct a plan to accomplish something that they hadn't even conceived was possible. Do you see the logic of that? The argument is just ridiculous. Here are just a few of the things they would have had to think through. Take it from an administrator. This are, these are just a few of the things they would have had to have thought through in order to have accomplished that. First, they'd had to figure out how to distract the Roman guards or the Jewish guards, whichever they were. They'd have also had to have decided how to break that Roman seal. Now, I know that sounds like a small sort of thing, but it's a very dangerous thing to break the seal of a Roman governing authority. They had to also figure out how in the world are we going to roll that stone out and away from that door. It's very heavy. And then there was the whole idea of stealing the body of Christ. Okay, let's see. Uh, leave the grave clothes, take the grave clothes, leave them right where they were, drop them on the floor, fold them up, all those things had to be decided in the two days in which they know nothing. Then, how to carry Christ's naked body on a stretcher through Jerusalem during Passover. There are thousands of people in Jerusalem during Passover. You can't just kind of stroll down the street with this stretcher and hope to hide the body on it. It just is totally ridiculous. And not only that, they have to do it on the Sabbath. Let's not forget, they're Jews. And then they had to figure out where to permanently hide this body. And then they'd have to figure out a way to make people believe from all parts of the world that he had risen from the dead. Maybe in our day of technology we could do it. I don't know. People are um, deceived by a whole lot less than that. People listen to a whole lot more crazy things than that. And for what? What would have been the benefit? They had no clue. They had no understanding. They didn't get it. 
Christ didn't reveal himself to them until after the tomb was opened. And then, can you think of a single one of those disciples who had the wherewithal, who possessed the ability even to think such a thing through? We're not talking the elite intellectuals of the day, people. We're talking fishermen and tax collectors. We're talking normal, everyday people. And seriously, someone would put forward the idea that one of them possessed the wherewithal to plan that all without knowing what was going to happen and all within a two-day period when they were already surprised by the crucifixion? Well, I think there was one disciple that had the wherewithal to do that. His name was Judas Iscariot, and we all know what happened to him. So it certainly wasn't his plan. No, Christ is risen. Much better. And then there's a third reason that Christ was raised from the dead on the third day. And that is to triumph over both our sin and death. He triumphed. 2 Timothy 1.10 Our Savior Christ Jesus abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Okay, now I want to play with your imagination just for a few minutes. I want you to, I want you to try to think. Now, not that any of us could really do a good job of this, but I, because I'm going to ask you to think about what's happening in hell. Just for a minute. I want you to think about what's going on in hell on Thursday afternoon. Thursday evening. Thursday night. Can you imagine the excitement in hell? The absolute abundant thrill going on in hell? Every demon being commanded by Satan to keep pushing. Keep pushing. As C.S. Lewis calls it, keep pushing your patient. Focus on the high priests. Get them to hate him even more. Focus on Pilate. He, he'll cave in and violate the law. Focus on the mob. They'll do our bidding. Focus on his disciples. They'll run away. We're on a roll. Let's keep going. Can you hear the sound of hell rejoicing over the thought that victory is close at hand. Or so they thought. There was a roll coming, but it wasn't the kind of roll they were thinking of. It was a second rolling, a rolling open. Imagine again, again we're focusing on hell. Forgive me, but the next day, Friday, Think of the wild, unencumbered, exuberant orgy of devilish delight. Can you imagine 
the ghoulish amusement as they observe the whipping and the beating and the stripping and the piercing and the stabbing of Christ and the last gasp of his breath. And wow, can you imagine the party on Saturday? It's over. We won. We won. We won. All hell rejoicing. God is dead. Until he isn't. Now I want to take you on a different imaginary trip, not so imaginary. No, we're going to stay where we are for just a minute. I want you to imagine now hell again. But this time, what I want you to imagine is what happens next. The exquisite brilliance and beauty of the light of God breaking into that darkness. Can you imagine the horror felt by Satan and all all his demons when they realized what had happened? Can you hear the gasp of breathless terror from Satan and all his minions as they realize he is risen? Just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sin and death reigned. That's the condition prior to Christ. It's kind of like a, take that, Satan. You thought you'd won the first time as Adam, and now once again you're you're mistaken. Death and all its fear and horror swallowed up in victory. Victory. 1 Corinthians 15, 54-55, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Death is defeated. Sin no longer reigns. He is risen. Now I want to take a peek at another party. Hebrews 12, 22 to 24. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn whose names are enrolled in heaven, and to God, judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. And to Jesus, the mediator 
of a new covenant and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. The joy in heaven. Angels, myriads of them, celebrating the assembly of the firstborn in beautiful raiment. The spirits of the righteous made perfect. And then Jesus himself mingling with this throng. And yet this is only a glimpse of the wedding party. I want to take you through just a little, a little group of scriptures that talk about this wedding party. First, I'm going to look at the venue. Venue seems to be very important for weddings. Nobody does a venue like God. Revelation 22. Then the angel showed me the river of water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month, the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face. They will have no need of light, of a lamp or of the sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever. Now that's just the venue. Let's take a look at the wedding celebration itself. Revelation 19. After this I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude in heaven crying out, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God. For His judgments are true and just. For He has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality and has avenged her blood, the blood of His servants. No, I'm sorry. And has avenged on her the blood of His servants. Once more they cried, Hallelujah! The smoke from her goes up forever and ever. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshipped God who was seated on the throne saying, Hallelujah, Hallelujah. And then they hear, write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Praise our God, all you who servants who fear him, small and great. And then Revelation 19 again. Here's the marriage supper of the Lamb. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out, Hallelujah for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult 
and give him the glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride, his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, Write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are true words of God. Are you invited to that supper? But you know what? That's not the end. There's moving day. Moving day. Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne, from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. How do we not fall on our faces in worship when we hear words like that? He will dwell with us. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. They will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning or crying or pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of water life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. He is risen. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely to us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, 
who for the joy set before him endured the cross and despised the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. People, do you realize that we are the only faith in all the world, the only one in all the world, who visit the grave of their founder to see what isn't there? He isn't there. It's empty. It's empty because he is God and he could not be kept there. I want to read to you in closing a, uh, a lyric from a hymn, some, a modern hymn, which is something I don't normally do. Um, but come see the mournful grave where once a body lay. Our God in human form by wrath and judgment torn. But he's no longer here. His death has conquered death. Our guilt has disappeared in his forgiveness. Jesus, he has risen. Jesus, he's alive. Come see what God has done for vile and wicked ones. The innocent is judged. Unlovely ones are loved. Our joy is now complete, for death has lost its sting. And we are called to live life in his victory. Jesus has done enough. Our hope cannot be shaken, because God has raised him up. We cannot be forsaken. He is risen. We invite you to stand.